beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. You may be seated. In our pursuit of Christ, we experience many pains. In our Lord's Sermon on the Mount, he unexpectedly proclaimed, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Almighty God in his wisdom does not shield his children from pain and sorrows. Certainly there are some griefs that he spares us, but not all. Yet, while he does not shield us from pain, he never leaves us to suffer alone. But in the midst of pain, we experience his comfort, his grace, and his help. Uh, Brother Shane last week, in his sermon, emphasized the proper perspective on trials for the believer and for those that are experiencing suffering The life of Job gives a fairly comprehensive view of the challenges that face those that go through trials. He spoke of the threefold source of trials, the world, our own sinful nature, and the devil, as it was in Job's case. But there are some trials that we experience where we can easily identify the source. You are arrested for committing a crime. The source of a trial like that is fairly obvious. It's your own sin nature, your decision to disobey the law, and the consequences for that are to be expected. But more often than not, the source of our trials, the cause, isn't so simple. It isn't so obvious. And because of this, the person who's suffering can experience struggles which may be even more intense and difficult than the initial struggle. Sometimes there is a struggle within that struggle. 
This afternoon, as we look at this passage in 2 Corinthians, I want to talk about how God has equipped us to be Christ-centered comforters to those who are going through trials. Several questions to answer today. Who comforts us? Whom must we comfort? And then, how do we comfort? When one of our bodies suffers in some way, how, how do we respond? How can we comfort? We know that we all suffer in various ways, at various times. There are numerous examples in Scripture of comfort and encouragement and consolation. And the intention is to alleviate grief and to encourage We will all experience loss, pain, and grief. But typically, we don't all experience those things at the same time. We may, but typically we look at our body and we can look at certain uh, brothers and sisters who are experiencing suffering more intensely. There are times we'll be the primary recipients of comfort. And there are times when we'll be called upon by the Lord to give comfort to those who are suffering. And if we anticipate further, possibly more frequent and new, at least to us, forms of suffering, as we see beginning to multiply, shouldn't we prepare to be better comforters? Doctors and nurses prepare themselves through years of study and training for real-world mending of wounds and care for the sick. Heaven help the wounded soldier being attended by an incompetent medic. Bullet holes and wounds and sickness can be made worse through incompetent care. And so incompetence in our care for one another can also intensify grief. And lead further pain and lead to further unnecessary pain. I remember seeing a video that was circulating on the internet of a soccer player who had collapsed, as they often do, in the middle of a match at the slightest touch. And two stretcher bearers ran onto the field um, to attend to this person. And Clearly, these two men had never used a stretcher before because one of them that was at the man's feet picked it up facing the stretcher. The other one at the head kind of backed into the stretcher and tried to lift it up. And he keeps lifting this man's face up into his rear end. Clearly, he'd never attempted to take anyone off of a field before. It was the picture of incompetence. And finally... Due to the fact that this player was not suffering, he just, he, he just jumped off of the stretch. He couldn't take it anymore. And for us, if we are going to be, as it were, stretcher bearers for one another, to go to assist, to give care, to help each other, we need to try to do that with the kind of care and concern and quality that God would want for us. The kind of care that we would want to be given ourselves. Paul begins his second letter to the church at Corinth with an expression of praise to God. 
After his initial address and salutation, he enters into this doxology, this word of praise to God. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. His focus is on the first person of the Godhead, God the Father, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he calls him the Father of mercies. God is merciful. And as the Father of mercies, Paul is communicating that God does not allow sufferings to break us. Can you imagine if our sufferings extended to their full extent, to where there, there, it was impossible for us to overcome? But God is merciful. He knows what we can take. Think back to your life. Think about the kinds of trials that you have experienced and how God has been merciful in them. He does not allow his children to suffer beyond what he will carry them through. He is merciful. And God did not allow sufferings that would break Paul and Timothy. The Father provided them relief from sufferings that would be unbearable. And as the God of all comfort, he not only limits the severity of trials, but also gives Paul and Timothy comfort in and after the trial, binding up their wounds and healing them. In verse 4 we read, Who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction, with the comfort with which we have been comforted by God. God's comfort to Paul and Timothy was permanent and faithful. His comfort to them was consistent. God didn't waver, only providing comfort in a limited number of trials or running out of consolation toward them. As God's people, we should never succumb to the belief and the temptation in the middle of a trial that God will run out of comfort for us. Or that we are in a trial in which he will fail us. He cannot fail us. In Lamentations 3, 19 through 24, we read this. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul is continually bowed down within me. But this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. In this passage in 2 Corinthians 1, It's important to note that the original Greek word here is paraklesis, translated comfort. And in the 14th chapter of John, when Jesus promises the Holy Spirit, translated helper, advocate, comforter, the Greek word there is parakletos, which comes from the same Greek root. One of the functions of the Holy Spirit is to comfort the people of God, to help us in our troubles. 
And notice in, the, in this verse, in verse 4, that one of the effects of experiencing the comfort of God is that it prepared Paul and Timothy to be a source of comfort to those enduring suffering or affliction. They became an instrument of comfort. And God's comfort flowed through them into the lives of others. Paul will later in chapter 7 reveal that the church at Corinth had been a comfort to him and Timothy. Because when the church was rebuked in the first letter that he sent them, because of the wickedness within their membership, they altered their course. And Titus, whom Paul sent to them, was refreshed by the Corinthians as they welcomed him and as he saw their obedience. Now some problems remained in the church of Corinth, to be sure, and Paul anticipated having to confront some in the church. But the church had responded, and their response had encouraged him. And just as Paul and Timothy became a source of comfort through the sufferings they had experienced and the comfort that they had experienced from God. If you are a believer, you likewise are intended by God to be a source of comfort to fellow believers who are enduring trials. He intends for His comfort to flow through you. Through you. What a privilege. Verse 5. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. The measure of distress, as is suffered for the sake of Christ, was balanced by an equal measure of comfort through Christ. How great is the struggle you're experiencing? How great is the suffering that you're experiencing? There's an equal measure of comfort from God that is available to you, that will come to you. Paul saw the purpose of his afflictions as being a means of comfort and salvation for the Corinthians. Not that Paul saved them, but that he served as an example and a demonstration of the faithfulness of God that would result in comfort and salvation for those he ministered to. It's not natural to go through suffering and emerge victorious and joyful. Suffering crushes the ungodly because they don't have access to the source of comfort. They don't have access to the same healing, to the same help. They are indeed alone. They can only receive help and comfort from limited, finite means. You may, as an unbeliever, distract yourself from your difficulties. You may appeal to others to try to help you. But the source of true comfort is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. You were created by God. He knows what you need. 
And if you do not have Christ, if you do not have God, you have divorced yourself from the comfort of God and true healing and wholeness. So my plea to you, if that is your condition, is to come to Christ, the mediator, the one who stands between us and God, who came to us and gave his life on the cross, suffering the death that we deserve, in our place, suffering and dying as a sacrifice for sin, the sin that separates us from God, the sin that makes us believe that we can, because of its deceitfulness in our lives, survive without Him. You can't survive without Him. You won't survive without Him. You need the God-man, Jesus Christ, the sacrifice for sinners, to be your God, to be the mediator of your comfort, to come to you in your time of trial. Come to Him for salvation. Those who come to Him, He never turns away. Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, but He was raised on the third day, proving that He was who He said He was. You can trust that Jesus Christ is the one true God, the one sacrifice for sinners. Because he rose from the dead, proving he was who he said he was, proving that God accepted his sacrifice on the behalf of sinners like you and I. And no one who comes to him will ever be put to shame. So if you're without him, come to him. Receive him by faith. Turn away from sin and self-reliance, and come to the one who can save your soul, who will bring you comfort and salvation. Anyone who comes to him receives the gift of the Holy Spirit, the comforter, as described in John 14. And not only that, but everything that Christ purchased on the cross. Everything that he purchased in one, he gives to us, his people. And God, through Christ, gives us every gift. Gifts that are, as the scripture says, beyond imagination. No one can imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. Paul recognized that the comfort he received as a minister of the gospel would flow out of him as a source of comfort to those going through Christian suffering. Verse 7, Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Paul was confident that God's comfort wasn't something reserved uniquely for him because of his office as an apostle. God's comfort was just as accessible and guaranteed to the lowliest of believers enduring sufferings as it was to him as an apostle. As the apostle and his hearers endured the same sufferings, they would each, in turn, also receive the comfort of God. 
It is true that in this passage, what we look at and what we see is suffering for the name of Christ. That was what Paul was doing. And yet God in his mercy extends comfort to us in any affliction. As Paul says earlier in this chapter. In verse 4, who comforts us in all our affliction. So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. Yes, specifically Paul is talking about Christian suffering. Suffering for the sake of the gospel. Suffering because of your faith. But God is merciful to us. And whatever affliction and suffering we're enduring, his comfort flows to us. In verses 8 through 10, look at what Paul and Timothy endured. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Paul and his companions suffered terribly in Asia Minor. They believed they were going to die. They lived, delivered by God from death. It's possible that Paul's referring to the opposition he encountered at Ephesus, stirred up by Demetrius the silversmith, who made shrines for the goddess Artemis, whose temple was there in Ephesus, and recognized that this god that was preached by Paul was a danger to his industry, stirred up a mob, dragged Paul's companions into the theater, They thought, likely thought they were going to be beaten, possibly put to death, lynched by that mob. This is recorded in Acts 19. In 1 Corinthians 15.32, Paul says he fought with wild beasts at Ephesus. I'm not sure what exactly that was, but Paul and his companions experienced terrible suffering in that part of the world. Whatever the difficulties were, through them, Paul and his companions experienced deeper reliance on God. They could not rely on themselves. They felt that they were going to die. And this concern, this anguish, this suffering drove them into the arms of God. And strengthened and bolstered their faith in God. One comfort for us as believers through trials is that as the Lord brings us through them, we can emerge with greater confidence, with our faith fortified and strengthened, so that in the future, whatever trials we face, we're better equipped to face those trials and also to help those who are experiencing suffering. The Lord intends for comfort to extend through you into the lives of your brothers and sisters experiencing suffering. We may anticipate increasing suffering, difficulty, and pressures in the coming days. 
And as we follow Christ together, we know at least some measure of persecution is guaranteed. 2 Timothy 3.12 All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Enduring hardship together requires mutual care and concern among God's people. So how may we effectively minister to one another? So the first question, who comforts us? God comforts us. Other believers comfort us. Whom do we comfort? We comfort one another. We reach out to one another and help one another. But how may we comfort each other? Well, there's one way that Paul specifically mentions in this passage, in verse 11. He specifically mentions prayer. Specifically mentions prayer. He says, you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. God answers prayer. Remember James 5, 16? Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. God answers prayer. So the first way is to pray for one another. Pray for one another. Secondly, the scripture contains multiple examples of people traveling distances to grieve, to help, and to comfort those in the midst of their trials. By going to someone, expressing your love and concern for them, your affection and consoling them, you minister to them and comfort them. Remember Job's friends. Job 2, 11 through 13. Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that had come upon him, they came each from his own place. Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Naamathite. They made an appointment together to come to show him sympathy and comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. And they raised their voices and wept. And they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven. And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights. And no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. Now admittedly, it all went downhill from there. But initially, what an expression of comfort for Job. To travel a distance like that. To sit with a friend for a week, solid, saying nothing, weeping with him, expressing the cultural signs of grief and mourning, the tearing of robes, the dust on the head, being with him, comforting him. Lamentations 1 16, 17, and 21 demonstrate the increased sorrow of suffering alone. In verse 16, For these things I weep, my eyes flow with tears, for a comforter is far from me, one to revive my spirit. 
In verse 17, Zion stretches out her hands, but there is none to comfort her. In verse 21, they heard my groaning, yet there is no one to comfort me. It's a great pain to have no one with you when you're suffering, to suffer alone. And as much as it's possible on our part to, we have a responsibility to not let that happen. If we love someone and we know that they're in distress, that they're suffering, we have to go to them. We have to comfort them. As much as we're able, we should not permit the saints here in our body to suffer alone. We must be there. Be there for one another. Weep with one another. Comfort one another with the comfort that we ourselves have received. It's possible for us to be tempted to believe that we aren't able to comfort because we haven't experienced the pain or that specific experience of suffering, that someone else maybe is better at that. And maybe we haven't experienced that. Maybe that's true. Maybe someone else is better at that. But that doesn't absolve us from the responsibility and the blessing of being there. Remember Proverbs 14.10? The heart knows its own bitterness, and no stranger shares its joy. The reality is you cannot know exactly how another person is experiencing suffering and grief. You can know how you are experiencing a grief or a pain or suffering, but I can't see your soul The intensity of grief may be foreign to you. Maybe in a similar situation, you didn't experience the kind of grief that another is. It may be very similar, and yet their grief is much more intense than yours might be. Proverbs 27.5 reads, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. And the principle here is that affection that is not communicated does no good. An open rebuke may be offensive or unwelcome, but at least it may bring greater truth or do some good. Love is not offensive. Who doesn't want to be loved? But if you don't express that affection and keep it hidden, it won't benefit the person that you love, the object of that affection. It won't console them. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. You may be the most awkward weirdo on earth, but your expression of love to a person in distress may comfort them greatly. So prayer, 
and being present with those in suffering are biblical ways of comforting those in trials. And then lastly, ministering the word as a means of comfort. God's word, I, I, I knew a man once who was experiencing intense personal suffering and trial. And I became very concerned for him when he expressed that he was no longer reading his Bible because the Word of God is a great source of comfort. God's people don't need my words. They need God's words. They need the balm of his speech. They need his truth. Not my sentimentality. They need him. They need his words. So for someone to tell me I'm not reading my Bible anymore and I'm going through a trial deeply concerns me for that person because you've cut off the source of comfort. What does the comforter do? The Holy Spirit brings to mind the word of God. We must press ourselves into the word and we must press one another into the word. Times of great trial are frequently accompanied by times of great temptation. Temptation to doubt the goodness of God, to doubt his faithfulness, to doubt his love, to misunderstand the reason for the suffering. As much as Job's friends misunderstood the reason for Job's suffering, judging him, saying it must be sin, Job, you must have done something. I mean, look at all of this. Your life is a catastrophe. How could it not be sin? As much as they got that wrong, and they did. Often, the person suffering is very likely to misunderstand that as well. To put the blame on themselves. I must have done something. It must be some sin in my life. There has to be something I did wrong for this pain, for this suffering to come to me. God is punishing me. Now, of course, there are times of chastening in the life of a believer. Chastening for sin. The Lord disciplines the one he loves, right? To drive us back into fellowship with him. But is not the Lord wise enough to know that if I can't connect the consequences to a sin, it does me no good? If what's happening to me, I can't tie to a sin in particular, then something, maybe that's not it. There are times you can connect those two. But when you can't, don't assume it's some sin you don't know about. God is merciful. He'll open your eyes if it's sin. But God loves us. He's not wanting 
and barbaric in his treatment of his children. He loves us. We read in Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, that suffering can even lead to a temptation to renounce Christ. That's what that book addresses. Christ is superior. Christ suffered on your behalf. In Hebrews 12, we read, verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Remind the sufferer of Christ. Remind them of the promises of God in his word. We have a responsibility to preach God's word to ourselves. But as you have opportunity, with care and compassion, speak the truth of God to brothers and sisters who are suffering. Help them, comfort them, console them with the balm of the word of God. Remind each other of the greatness of Jesus Christ. The irrevocable, eternal covenant love of God for his people. The promise of eternal life. At a meeting one time with a a pastor in a closed country uh, here who was visiting our, our church here. Someone asked this pastor, you've gone through a lot of suffering uh, what gives you joy? What, what helps you to, to overcome? He looked shocked by that. He, he expressed surprise. He said, I'm going to be with Christ. It shocked him to think that someone wouldn't have that same hope just immediately, that someone wouldn't understand that or would ask that question. It, He seemed very, very shocked by that. We're going to be with Christ. Christ is our comfort. And we're going to be with him forever. One day, brothers and sisters, we will stand with the billions of God's elect, singing praises to God, declaring his perfections and glory, his wisdom and grace, And with one voice say, yes, God, all your promises are true. You have done all things well. Revelation 21.3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. 
He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. We will be with the God of all comfort forever. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, that you comfort us in our trials. That you have given us the blessing of other brothers and sisters to walk with us and to extend the comfort that you have given them to us. Help us, Lord, to be faithful ministers of comfort to one another. I think about the many sorrows that my brothers and sisters here in our body have experienced over the short time that we have been a a church. Lord, help us to grow in comforting one another. And Lord, extend your comfort to those who are suffering now and help us to be ministers of comfort to them. What a privilege and what a blessing. God, we accept that and pray you would help us as we carry it out. In Jesus' name.